last two weeks, we've been attempting to see Jesus as He really is. Those who do see Jesus as He really is are inspired to stay close to Him, to follow after Him. We saw how four fishermen and a tax collector and various people who were touched by Jesus were ready and, uh, and, and speedily ready to follow after Him. They, they were inspired to give themselves away. And uh, if people will call it a sacrifice, it was no sacrifice for them to do it. They were blessed to be able to walk with Jesus. We've seen also, Jesus has, as one young man said to me, crazy power. I mean, the disciples said, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Fortunately for us, behind all this crazy power is a good and loving heart who only seeks our best. This morning, the Scriptures grant us another glimpse of Jesus. This time, our encounter with Jesus is on a mountain. Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 8 is the text this morning. And I invite you to turn to that passage in your Bible. Or your iPhones, or wherever you have the Scriptures today. There the Scripture tells us that after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to Him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Now, this morning, I'd like to make a few observations about this text and then offer uh, a comment about how these truths about Jesus can be embraced, making a difference in our lives. So, the first observation is this. Getting alone with Jesus is worth the effort. I'm not sure if you've noticed, but Jesus has a fondness for the outdoors. He spends lots of time there, uh, uh, by the sea, on the sea. In this case, uh, he spends, uh, he takes uh, his disciples, three of them, up a mountain. We know he likes the wilderness, the gardens. Like, Jesus is an outdoor guy. So, in our text this morning, we see Jesus taking three of his disciples up a mountain. Correction. Up a high mountain. Did you notice that? It's not a little hill. It's a high mountain. Have you ever hiked up a mountain? Like a high mountain? I, I don't think I really have. Uh, I drove up a mountain in Colorado once. Uh, I think it was like 14,000 feet. And they told us, don't run around. You might faint. Because there's not a lot of oxygen at 14,000 feet. But I've hiked Grouse Grind. Have you done that? 
You know, I enjoyed it so much, I've never done it again. <laughs> I've hiked some other hills. Highish hills, but not, not really mountains. And the one thing they all have in common is that you have to work at it. Climbing a mountain of any size, even a high hill, takes effort. They require sweat and perseverance. But once you get there, once you arrive, it's worth it. Whether it's the view or the sense of accomplishment, the, the sense of being able to finish a tough climb, it just makes it worthwhile. It becomes enjoyable after the fact. I'm not sure why Jesus led these three up this high mountain. But I wonder, did they complain along the way? You know, Jesus, can we stop here? I just need to catch my breath, Jesus. Or Jesus, look, here's a good lookout, a good view spot. Would this, would this do? Whatever. They, they, they follow him to the place of his choosing where they're all alone. No one else is with them. And, and Peter even says in the midst of this coming experience, it is good for us to be here. In other words, it's worth it. Jesus is transfigured before them. He reveals them himself to them in a way they'd never experienced before. Not only did he allow them to see him in his glory. But they get to eavesdrop on a conversation Jesus is having with Moses and Elijah. Now, I wonder, like, I hope you ask lots of questions of the text. And when I read this, I'm saying, well, how do they know it's Moses and Elijah? I don't know for sure. But I suspect... Uh, I mean, I see this in my mind's eye, that Jesus looks over at Moses and with great enthusiasm gives him a big hug and says, Moses! And he looks over at Elijah, greets him with, by name, with equal enthusiasm, and gives him a holy kiss. You know, kiss on both sides of the cheek. <laughs> I think Jesus called him by name. That's why they know who they are. They get to hear this conversation about Jesus' coming death, his suffering, his death, his resurrection. Even though it doesn't make a lot of sense to them, they get the privilege. Jesus in this place reveals something to them that they would not have had had they not put forth the effort and followed him up the mountain. Of all the things they could have felt, I'm sure boredom and apathy weren't part of their feelings. At the end of the day, the effort of the climb was worth the experience that Jesus gave them. He revealed himself to them in ways that might, they might have never experienced had they not allowed him to lead them up that mountain to a solitary, alone kind of place. Now, can I encourage you? To believe that as hard as it is to cut time out of your day 
and allow Jesus to lead you and reveal to himself, re- reveal himself to you in some kinds of ways that you'll never expect, that, that it's worth it. I know it's hard. I know your life is full. But Jesus has a word for you. Jesus wants to reveal himself to you. Will you do the work? Will you spend the effort and find that solitary place where there are the least distractions? Do not rob yourself of His Word or His revelation of Himself by failing to get alone with Jesus. Now, more about this later, because I really want to move on to the second observation, which is the main observation I want if you, if you only get one thing today, this is it. Observation number two. We will do well to listen to Jesus. In verse 5, Peter begins to speak to Jesus. But interestingly, it's not Jesus who responds. It's God. God from heaven speaks. And in just a few words, ten English words, In a few words, God does three things. One, He identifies Jesus as His Son. Two, He makes public how He feels about Jesus. And number three, He commands the disciples to listen to Jesus. Now, it's this third thing that I want us to focus on. If God says, listen to Jesus, do you think it would be wise to do so? But why does he make such a command? You know, could it be that Jesus is the smartest man you'll ever know? Interestingly, God does not tell these three to love Jesus. He doesn't say, this is my son whom I love, you love him too. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, uh, sacrifice for Jesus, work for Jesus, serve Jesus. He doesn't even say, worship Jesus. He says, listen to Him. If you were asked to describe Jesus, you might use all kinds of words, like, He's loving, He's kind, He's compassionate, He's holy, He's good, He's powerful, He's righteous. When was the last time you heard Jesus described as being smart? Do we ever sing songs about how smart Jesus is? I can't think of one. Willis, you might have to write one. But not this week. No pressure. <laughs> you know, we just don't even, we don't even think about that. Would you wish to follow anyone who wasn't smart? Don't you want your leader to be smart? Or you might say, Oh, well, there's a dumb guy over there. Let's go follow him. You don't do that, do you? As someone has once said, can we seriously imagine that Jesus could be Lord if he weren't smart? If he were divine, would he be dumb? Or uninformed. Now, once you stop to think about it, 
how could Jesus be what we take Him to be in all other respects and not be the most intelligent person of all, the smartest man that ever lived? The biblical vision of Jesus is one who made all of created reality and kept it working, literally holding it together. And you remember, last week we finished, or I finished, by reading that passage out of Colossians about who Jesus is. Nothing has been created that hasn't been created through Him. And in everything, He has supremacy. At the literally mundane level, Jesus knew how to transform the molecular structure of water into wine. He knew how to do that. Can you do that? Jesus is smart enough to do that. We say it's a miracle. Yeah, because nobody else has that kind of smarts. At least I don't know of anybody like that. This knowledge, His knowledge, allows Him to take a few pieces of bread and a fish, a few fish, and feed thousands of people. He could create matter from energy that that he and he knew how to access uh, access this energy from the heavens. He knew how to transform the tissues of the human body from sickness to health, from death to life. He knew how to suspend gravity. I like that one. I, I think I mentioned before how one uh, to you all. Uh, in years past, how one day I, I thought I could walk on water like Jesus. <laughs> if I just had faith, you know, if I just knew how to suspend gravity and not sink into that liquid. <laughs> I didn't try it. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't have faith. Or maybe I just thought, I, you know, I don't know how to do that. But Jesus does. Jesus knows how to interrupt weather patterns, as we learned last week. Jesus knows how to do that. In the ethical domain, he brought an understanding of life that has influenced world thought more than any other. Jesus knew how to enter physical death, actually die, and then live on beyond death. All these things show Jesus' cognitive and practical mastery of reality, of over every phase of reality, the physical phase, the moral area of life, and the spiritual phase of life. Jesus is not just nice. He's brilliant. Like, this, is, this is the one thing I really want you to hear today. He's not just nice. He's brilliant. He's the smartest man who ever lived. He always has the best information on everything. Jesus is never uninformed. And certainly in all things that matter most about human life. Human nature has not changed in 2,000 years. Jesus was smart then. He's smart today. About the things that matter most about our lives. 
If we read the Gospels carefully, we will quickly realize this truth. How often did his adversaries seek to trap him? Many times. And these men aren't stupid men. They were some of the smartest, most educated men of of their day. And yet, try as they might, they could not trap Jesus. Jesus is far too smart. Even as a child, Jesus spent three days in the temple discussing theology uh, with the brightest minds of his day. The Bible tells us that everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. You know what the translation for that is? He's smart. The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus understood who he was in this regard. And there's no false modesty in him. In fact, he would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you wish real, genuine knowledge? Then to whom will you go? God says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Knowledge. What is knowledge? Well, that that can be a bit tough. But, you know, knowledge is the ability to represent things as they really are. The ability to grasp, to represent, to understand things as they really are. That's knowledge. You know, sometimes you believe things that have no relationship to reality. That's not knowledge. That's an illusion. Some people believe that beauty is real. And so what do they do? They invest their time and their energy, and their resources, much money, in getting beautiful and maintaining their beauty. Now, at about age 70, reality sort of says, hey, you know what? Your beauty has nothing to do with your body. You know, many times, It's our desires that masquerade as truth. And we begin to think that what we want is what is real. That that's the picture of reality. And so our knowledge is based on that. So what do you do? Well, what what is really real? Well, you know, power is, or having money to do what you want, or being well educated, or you name it. There's lots of philosophies out there that will try and get you to embrace their understanding of reality. And so you've got to learn that kind of knowledge. Well, what I want to ask is, whose knowledge will you build your life on? Would you not want to go to the smartest and most well-informed person in all the world? 
I mean, Jesus says things like, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Oh, that's brilliant. You know? Jesus says things like, love your enemies. We say, oh, that's way too hard. No, it's harder not to do that. It messes your life up more when you hate your enemies. And you seek revenge. Your Heavenly Father says of Jesus, This is my Son whom I love. Listen to Him. Listen to what the smartest man in the world has to say. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, my followers, my apprentices. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, the first part is, uh, if you hold to my teaching, if you practice what I tell you. Remember at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, who's the guy who has the house the last? The guy who builds his life upon the words of Jesus. It's like a rock. You build your life on other things? Why do you think Jesus so often begins his teaching by saying, listen? In the old King James Version, it might say, truly, truly, <laughs> or verily, verily, I say unto you. And so many times at the end of Jesus' teaching, whether it's a parable or what, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the Father says, listen to him. Could it not be that the one who is most acquainted with reality, the smartest man in the universe, wishes to bless you with the truth? Do you think it is possible that he wishes his hearers, his listeners, to be beneficiaries of his intelligence? And if you have this, can I call it insider knowledge? Might you have the best life ever? Might it even be described as abundant life? Oh, Jesus said that, didn't he? I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Have it abundantly. God is just not filling the air with meaningless words when he tells the disciples to listen to his son. No, it's an act of his love for them to clue them in on who is in their midst. The smartest man the world has ever known. Listen to him. Third observation. The heavenly experience fades, but Jesus remains. Now you'll notice about mountaintop experiences, they rarely last. They're not meant to last. They're usually of a short duration. Take note, though, that even though the glory of the moment retreats to the heavens, Jesus remains. This reality is of enormous import for life. Life is not to be lived alone with Jesus on the mountain. Life is to be lived down in the plain, in the cities, among others. Do you retreat alone to be with Jesus? Yes, but you don't stay there. And, you, and as the glory of the moment fades... You're not left alone to your own resources. 
Jesus remains there with you. Not, <clears throat> so not only do we have the words of the smartest man of all, but we have His personal presence to help and encourage us in the implementation of His Word. You know we can't do it without Him. So the glory of heaven fades, but He remains. I love that. And you ought to be thinking right now, the the Holy Spirit ought to remind you of Jesus' last words. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What a glorious gift. So what are we to make of all of this? Let me say this. I'm going to say it two ways. I'm going to say it negatively for those of you who think negative. And I'm going to say it positively for those I, I'm, other 80% of you, I hope, who <laughs> think positive. But here, here's, here's the negative first. It would be a tragedy of unbelievable proportions to have, the, have, to have access to the smartest man with the best knowledge of what is most important in life and to fail to profit from it. Can you imagine what a tragedy that would be? You've got the relationship with the smartest, the most brilliant man ever, and to fail to profit from that would be, I, I can't even count how immense that tragedy would be. But let, let me say it a different way. Let me say it in a positive way. Would not wisdom dictate that we place ourselves in a position to hear from Jesus and learn from Him how to live life? Would it not be the wisest of prayers to say, God, grant me those ears that really hear. Grant me understanding. Help me make the effort to get along with Jesus. Let me suggest to you that you develop a daily rhythm of getting along with Jesus. Now, I'm sure, I, I hope many of you do this already, but for those of you who don't, or those of you who do want to try something, can I, can I encourage you to adopt SOAP in the morning and STP in the evening? Now, let me explain that briefly. SOAP is an acronym that means Scripture, so you have your Scripture reading plan, and then O is observations, so you're going to make some observations on the Scripture, just like I did today. I read the Scripture and I made some observations. And then A is application. Say, God, if you've shown me this, if you revealed yourself to me, how now am I going to apply this to my life? And then P is for prayer. And I want you to to write this out. (laughs) It's called journaling. So you take your pen and you do an S and you write the Scripture. Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 8. And then O, observations. And, And, well... Pastor Hamish had three this morning, but you can, you can just go for one. And then you say, and how am I going to apply the fact that Jesus is the smartest man I'm ever going to meet? And then you write out a prayer. So you do that in the morning, and, and you discipline yourself, because you, the effort is worth it. And then at the end of the evening, before you fall asleep, you do STP. And STP is an acronym that means, sorry, thanks, please. So you debrief your day. You think back about your day and you say, God, I'm really sorry about this. 
Oh yeah, and this. But God, I'm really thankful for this and this and this. And as you think about your day, you say, Oh God, please help this and help this person. And you make intercession. And you end the day with sorry, thanks, please. And you develop this spiritual rhythm. Soap in the morning and STP in the evening. But what it's doing is it's creating a space for you to learn from the most brilliant man ever how to live your life, how to think about reality, and and how to respond, how to live life in the kingdom of God. I encourage you, work on that. That you may benefit from the relationship you have with Jesus, who, yes, is all-powerful, and yes, He's loving and kind and compassionate, all those things, but He's also the most brilliant man you'll ever know. Let's pray together. Father, thank You. Thank You that You share Yourself with us. Thank You, God, that it's not Your purpose to keep us enslaved in ignorance, but to acquaint us with what is real. God, Your kingdom is real. Sometimes my kingdom, Father, fights against that, but but God, I, I pray that in Your grace and Your love and Your mercy, that You would speak to us the truth and love and that You would open our eyes, open our ears, that we might learn from Your Son, Jesus. Help us to live a life that listens to Him. Father, for each one here today, I pray that You would grant them favor. And as they do that work of carving out that time and developing that spiritual rhythm with You, God, I pray that You would bless them and may they prosper and profit from hearing from Jesus. We give You thanks. What a great gift. We give You thanks. In His name, Amen.